0: The Brandon Tatum Show is on KTAR News 923 FM. Yes, you heard that correctly. You're not having a nightmare. This is a dream come true. Yours truly, Brandon Tatum. I have my own show. I don't know what KTR was thinking um, when they gave me my show. I'm probably about to tear this place up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm so excited. You know, first of all, I got to thank God for blessing me with this show. And and I thank everybody that's tuning in, if you're driving in your car, make sure you have your seatbelt on and you're listening. I want to thank everybody that's joining from the social media platforms that I have. Um, This is going to be a great experience. You know, I want to, to be a laid back person that you, when you ride in the car, hanging out at home, you can listen to, you can get good feedback from, you can get good knowledge, um, in a balanced perspective, you know, I, I'm i I'm an everyday person. Um, and I, and I like to tell the truth and, and keep things, um, clean and good. So you don't have nothing to worry about. But for those of you who, who have not heard of me, don't know who I am, wondering why you're hearing this beautiful voice on the radio for the first time, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who I am, where I come from and kind of the focus of what I want to accomplish, you know, on this on this show. So I was born and raised in in Fort Worth, Texas. Shout out to everybody that's from Texas. You know, I love my Arizonas, but I'm from Texas. Don't get it twisted. But uh, I born and raised Fort Worth, Texas. You know, my parents were separated when I was born um, or not when I was born, but when I was a very young kid. Um, interestingly enough, my dad didn't have his dad around. My mom didn't have her mom around and my mom, you know, dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Um, my grandmother had my mother when she was 12 years old. And so some people would believe or, or have in their mind that I was destined to fail. I was destined, um, for me not to accomplish some of the things that I have, but I think God had a different plan, but I'll never forget the pivotal moment in my life when I was eight years old when my dad, you know, I got arrested for smoking marijuana in a vacant house. And I, I remember, and I don't know about you, but my dad used to carry that belt everywhere we go <laughs> and you cut up, you're going to get, you, you're going to get it. That's it's all you need to know. You're going to get it. And, you know, after that experience or, or the situation that happened, I thought I was going to get a beat down in my life, but it didn't go that way. You know, my dad strategically used something that, that was in my heart um, my love and passion for basketball at the time to really turn me in a different direction. But I think it's meaningful to tell a little bit about that story. So, you know, I had all the cousins who so they were in drugs and different things like that. And we were hanging out with them and we kind of got caught up in a situation. I'll never forget when we went to the juvenile detention center um, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, we thought that their parents were going to show up and we were going to act like it never happened and go on and never tell my dad about it. But uh, lo and behold, they called Mr. Tatum. And he came in there like he was Huck Hogan. He said he was going to kill us and everything. And I, I remember looking at my brother saying, man, I hope they just leave us in here because my dad don't seem like he's playing around today. But the, beautif- the beautiful thing about the story is that when we got in the car, you know, my dad looked at me and he said, look, Brandon, if you don't change your ways, you don't act with integrity, um, you will never play in the NBA. And I, I think that really uh, struck a chord in me. From that point on, I began to really take a a passion to, to play football and to be an athlete and really be successful in school. So we can fast forward to high school. I uh, went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. For those of you who are, were born and raised in Fort Worth, or you know what I'm talking about. I went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, which was a pretty rough school. You know, we were great at athletics, but the educational side of it wasn't as great, and the violence was was tremendous at times. I mean, we had people pulling guns on each other in the parking lot, shooting dice in the bathroom. But there was a pathway to success there, and and I'll save that for another segment. But I played football there. I was an All-American. I was the top player in the nation. I had a scholarship to almost every university I could think of, and I decided to go to the University of Arizona in Tucson. Shout out to my Arizona Wildcats, Bear Down, uh, even though they're looking kind of trash this year, but... Uh, it's just the first game of the season, so I hope they turn it around. But I played football. It didn't work out for me there. You know, I, I I had great hopes of playing in NFL. And, you know, because of my attitude at the time in certain circumstances, I never got the the playing time that I wanted. And I was in the 2010 NFL draft. It was very heartbreaking um, for me that I did not get drafted. But, again, I think that God had a, a better plan for me. So after that, I met a, a gentleman and I won't say his name on air unless he, you know, wanted me to. But he was a millionaire, and he he mentored me for a short period of time when I had my son. And what he told me was that I need to put an X on the calendar for football and give it my best shot. And if it if it doesn't work out, I need to transition to something different. And that's exactly what I did. Football wasn't working out, and I applied for every job in the city of Tucson. And just so happened, the Tucson police. Um, was one of the options that I had, and they called me back. And the day that they called me will be memorable. Um, some people probably think this funny. Some people probably think it's ridiculous, but I would never forget the day. It was my my son's mom at the time we were arguing um over the phone, nothing major. And then and the next morning, I get a phone call from the police department, and it's like, "Hey, this is the Tucson Police Department." And I could only think in my mind, like. I can't believe she called the police on me, <laughs> you know, for for a simple argument over the phone, you know, that it's kind of drastic. And so I could tell they can they, they figured out that I was kind of apprehensive in my voice and they said, "Hey, you applied for the the city of Tucson Police Department. Do you still want the job?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I want the job, but I didn't know anything about policing, you know. My only experience was getting arrested at 8 years old. And so from that point moving forward, I said, "Hey, I need to do a ride along." And I did a ride along with Officer Sean Payne whom I will never forget. He was probably one of the greatest men that I've ever met. And we did a ride along and it just blew my mind. Policing blew my mind. And I could tell you this, we went from changing a flat tire from elderly, you know, with the elderly lady on the side of the road to going lights and sirens, code three um, to a, a gentleman who was trying to attempt to kill himself he was actively cutting his wrist in the back room, and I remember Sean was driving. I, we could have been going about seventy-five miles per hour on a on a regular road. I mean, we almost died probably three times because people don't know how to move to the right. Um, so if you if you if the sirens are going on, please move to the right. Do not make us have to go around you. So we we go and and we get to the call, and they let me walk up with him. They went to kick the door in to check welfare on the gentleman and he was actively cutting his wrist. I could see once they went in, they let me come and look and he was cutting his wrist and you know, Sean saved his life, man. And just the adrenaline rush from all of that just made me wonder like, dude, how do you do this every day? And he said, man, you know, I do this every day consistently. And I felt to in myself that, this was something I really wanted to do. This is something that I feel that God is, is gearing me towards and I have to be this guy, you know, I have to be a hero like Sean Payne. And I joined the police department. I, um, I I did just about everything on the Tucson police department. I was there for about six and a half years. I was a spokesperson for the police department of PIO. I was on a SWAT team for, for about a year. Um, I trained new officers as a field training officer. I was a general instructor at the Academy. And, you know, that 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 experience really, really set me up for success. And and just with my first show, I'm already realizing that I'm, I'm I could talk. So I'm running out of time. So I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick and maybe I'll touch base a little bit on the uh, the next segment about it, because I really think it's important for people to understand who I am and why you should probably listen to me, maybe find some common ground with, with, what, with what I'm saying. But after that, you know, I became a police officer. I, I love what I did every single day, and that kind of got me into the political world. You know, I, I wasn't really into politics uh, per se. I never really voted. Uh, it's, shame, it's shameful to say that, but it's true. I never really voted or, at all. But uh, once I started paying them taxes, you know, I realized that I probably need to get politically active. You know, I a little twenty-three dollars an hour sound good to me until I had to pay those taxes, but. We're getting ready to go to break. Thank you guys for joining thus far. Make sure you come back for the next segment. I'm going to talk a little bit, a little bit about the things that, that I said before, but we're going to talk about Antonio Brown. I want to know what y'all think about what Antonio Brown did. You listen to Brandon Tatum's show. on T-A-R. Brandon Tatum, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? We are back. And like I promised you, we're going to talk about Antonio Brown. Um, I think I'm going to skip out on giving all my background. I mean, you guys can hear that another time. But this story is, is very interesting to me when it comes to Antonio Brown obviously getting cut by the Oakland Raiders today. I, I just don't know what he's thinking. You know, and, and, and also in my mind, it's like, did he really lose? First of all, if you don't know, he had a thirty million dollar guaranteed contract. Thirty mil, thirty million dollars, and he would have, he would have made about fifty million over the three year three year contract. I, I believe that's a lot of money, and it seems as if his contention or his problems were related to a helmet, a helmet. Now, I understand. Look, I play football. You know, when you look good, you play good. I understand that. I felt that. But when you're making 30 million dollars guaranteed, I don't care what I look like. You know what I'm saying? I, I could be playing football with flip flops on as long as I'm getting paid money, guaranteeing money in a sport in which, you you know, your life is at risk pretty much on a day to day basis. You know, all these residual problems that football players have. Antonio Brown has been knocked out at least twice by the same guy that played at ASU, mind you. But he got knocked out at least twice, which is, you know, detrimental head trauma that he will have to deal with later on in life. But another question that pops up, and I was talking to my girl about this earlier, was that did he really lose, though? Because shortly after he was cut or released by Oakland, he got picked up by the Patriots. And, you know, he got a $15 million. They say he could make up to $15 million over the one-year deal, $9 million signing bonus. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the Oakland Raiders have a chance of going to the Super Bowl at all in the next three years, which would have been Antonio Brown's contract. But the Patriots do. It seemed like they win the Super Bowl almost every year, at least every other year. And he'll be able to play with Tom Brady. He will go down in history, you know, playing with one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play football and win the Super Bowl, And he, he could make about 15 mil this year. And then if he, if he does well, they can sign they're, they're forced to sign him on another contract. They could sign him on an even bigger contract than Oakland Raiders. But to, the key to, to what I'm thinking in this situation is that I don't like his character. I don't like the, the selfishness. You know, I believe in being, uh, a servant. You know, I believe in in being selfless. And and that mentality and that aspect of life will cause you to go further and you know, when you look at the long term than in the short term goals that you would think somebody like Antonio Brown has. What player wants to really play with you if you are willing to sacrifice the whole season? You know, he was a key component to the Oakland Raiders. You're going to sacrifice the entire season. Because you're, you're you're pouting about something that's an individual thing. And it's not that the helmet was unsafe. It's that he didn't like the way it looked. And mind you, the NFL is not going to take that loss and get sued when Antonio Brown gets knocked unconscious and they say, well, that was a defective helmet and we upgraded the helmet and you decided to wear that one and we let you. I mean, Antonio Brown is probably going to make $100 million if something were to happen to him as it relates to you know, the helmet issue. But this, to me, speaks to a, a bigger issue of personality and integrity within the sports arena. When you play football, when you play athletic sport and you make it to the professional level, you get paid a lot of money for what you do. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about the military should get paid more than the NFL. Well, when you talk about the risk factor, I would think if you could— Make that argument. Yeah, they will get paid more. But there's not a lot of uh, excitement, you know, in watching somebody go out on a, on a battlefield. There's a lot of excitement in apparel being sold um, and personalities in these professional leagues. But it doesn't require you to have excellent character. And I'm afraid that this is will really start to affect younger athletes who want to play in the NFL. Mind you, if you're watching, you're a young athlete. I don't, I don't want to hurt your dreams right now. But there's a good possibility that you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. It's a good possibility. Um, some, not all, a very select few, and it's not just talent. You can have all the talent in the world. I was a very talented athlete. I ran a four-three and a forty, forty-four inch vertical leap. For some of y'all who know anything about football. I mean, I was what they would call a freak athlete. But circumstances and situations can lead you down a path where the NFL won't be the final step. And I want young people to understand that football should be your backup plan. What is Antonio Brown going to do afterwards, after football is over, if he's spent all his money? Obviously, we know that over 80% of the, the players in the league go bankrupt. So if... He goes bankrupt. He has no moral character or he hasn't built up a moral character beyond being a selfish person. What are you going to do after that? Think about this for a minute. You make millions of dollars and then you go to a job that's going to pay you probably $21 an hour. If you cannot sustain your character in that arena making millions, it's going to be very difficult for you to do that when you're making, I wouldn't say minimum wage, but you're not making as much money. So I, I would love to to know and, and, and for you guys to ponder in your mind, I want to know what you guys think about it. Uh, eventually I'll have a, a chance to have y'all call in, but I don't want to do that just yet, you know, because to be honest, I don't want somebody to drop the F-bomb and all that on the show while, I just, while I'm just getting started. So eventually I'll bring y'all on. But I, I wonder what the thoughts are, are surrounding that, you know. Um, obviously you can shoot me messages on my social media, but I think Antonio Brown – you know, is not making a long-term positive decision, but I still think he's making a lot of money just to play a sport, and I, and I and I really don't have a problem with that. Another aspect that has come up in relation to getting paid money and playing sports, and it's something that I really want to address too, is the concept of paying college football players these crazy amounts of money, similar to what you're playing paying NFL players. And as a former college football player, I just really don't think it's a good idea for these colleges to pay out. I don't know what they expect hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to college players. The alternative to that, in my opinion is to pay to get them more education to pay, to set them up for a better future. So if you're playing for four years in in college football Instead of them cutting you a check every month, because I'm going to be honest, I blew my money when I was in college. And so did all my other teammates. You know, I got the Pell Grant, and and it was, at the time, it was a lot of money. And I bought rims for my car, buying clothes, going out to eat. You know, when you're young, you're not going to do well with that money. And they're pretty much throwing money down the drain. But what they can do is say, if you want to be successful, you want to do well in school, you make good grades, we'll pay for you to get your master's degree. If you want to continue your education, we'll pay for you to get your doctorate degree. The colleges and universities can pay and use that money effectively. And if you decide not to go to school, maybe they can put money aside in, in a certain fund that you can access later in life instead of, again, setting you up for failure like we see happening so many times um in the NFL and i and I, I definitely think that that's a that's an issue that that we can address and and have conscious conversations about um, and so let me get back to another thing i was talking about earlier you know i, I gave my story and then i i jumped to antonio brown um because i i, I just that, that story has been fuming in my mind all day long But I want to just clarify or just add to a little bit about my background to continue that, and then we'll go to something different in the next segment. But for those of you who are listening in the first segment, I got to (laughs) go. So I love y'all, man. I'm going to get the hang of this thing. Y'all bear with me. Make sure you have your seatbelt on if you're in the car. We're going to go to the next segment. You're watching The Brandon Tatum Show on KTAR 92.3. Tatum, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. I don't know about you, but that's, that song get me hyped, man. <laughs> but let's talk about law enforcement. You know, I was a police officer. Obviously, I said in the first segment I was a police officer of Tucson Police Department. And I'm, I'm generally in favor of police officers because I have a the, the insight on what goes on. I've been through Academy. I know what it's like to be in a life and death situation multiple times. I know what it's like when people are combative and they're lying to you every day. So I get it. Right. I get it. I understand. But when an officer does something wrong, I think I also understand that there's a necessity or, or there's a a obligation on my end to bring attention to it and call them out and not necessarily to just damage the person's character, unless they're, A total you know what but to give a little insight on how this went wrong and what can we do to improve and that brings me to a story that i've heard on the radio going around and now i have an opportunity to talk about it um a glendale police officer that resigned after tasing a guy i don't know how many times and beating him in the head with the taser when this story came to my attention, I, you know, I initially I'm like, okay, they always got something to say about police officers. And I heard somebody in my opinion was being an SJW and they, they just continue to rip this officer. And I said, you know what? Let me look at the video. Let me do a little bit of research myself and I'll make a determination of what I think about it. Um, and this officer, officer Carroll, and I, I forget his first name. I'll, I'll get it in a minute, but officer Carroll, who works for the Glendale Police Department, resigned. I heard that he had other issues with the police department, but that's not here nor there. When I look at what happened at this incident, it was troubling to me. It was was embarrassing. And I believe there's two points to look at when you are examining the issues and how this particular incident went wrong. Initially, initially he was pulled over or the police stopped behind him in reference to, I guess, believing he was drunk. He was, he fell asleep in his car. As soon as he gets to the window, it is clear that he is, something is wrong. It, you know, me looking at the body one camera, it's like, he's high on drugs. He's a drug addict. That's it. That's it. That's what I saw when I, you know, when, when the officer's body cam initially turned on and, you know, he looked like a tweaker and he's lethargic. He's un- non-responsive. and, This officer, I I guess, felt like he was being challenged or he was on the same level as this guy, which I think is detrimental when you're trying to uh, make an arrest and you're trying to to be a a good police officer, uh, for lack of better terms. You have the mental upper hand, right? This person is lethargic, having some mental issues. And so you have to take charge as a police officer and you have to be able to dictate and navigate this person's mind for them, right? And so when you get to the car, you understand that this guy is you know, saying, I don't want to get out the car. Listen, there's no rush. You have your police car parked behind the guy. He's not going to bail out of it. He doesn't even seem like he's capable of even driving the car. And if you need to use force, this is what I learned in the Academy. If you need to use force, it is appropriate and legitimate to use force until it doesn't work and then you have to do something else, right? It's the same thing happened with Rodney King, right? If anybody know the story of Rodney King, and some people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but, you know, based on what he did initially, almost beat an officer to death, took him on a high-speed chase, you know, him getting his butt kicked initially seemed a, a bit reasonable. He was resisting arrest. But once you hit him with the baton and it doesn't work, if you continue to just beat the man, it's going to it's gonna look horrible. And I think those officers obviously should should be arrested. It was excessive force. But this officer is kind of battling the same thing. The guy's being, you know, combative but kind of passive-aggressive. You pull him out of the car. You're clearly stronger than him. You clearly have more training and physical um, ability over, over his. You get him on the ground. He don't put his hands behind his back. You know he don't have any guns. What's the rush? call for backup, let him lay there, sit on top of him, let him lay there. You know, obviously not suffocate the guy, but you you can still use your tactics. And for police officers, you know what I'm talking about. Use your tactics. And if you tase him, which would be appropriate in this situation, if he's combative, um, because you don't know, he could be on meth or something uh, upper that to make him have superhuman strength. But once you tase him and it doesn't work, and even if you decide to strike him with it, and if it's not working, then you need to transition to another um, use of force. And another thing, there's the overuse of the Taser that I've been seeing. And I, it, I'd never used a Taser. I didn't even wear a Taser the second half of my career. And I was, and I was a SWAT operator. I didn't use the Taser. And I, I guess I, I applied it one time with a guy who was butt naked running around a community knocking on somebody's door. I guess he thought he was going to somebody's house. This dude was naked and, you know, I'm like, it's something wrong with him. I don't even want to touch this guy. So I'll threaten him with the use of force and more than likely they will comply. And yes, he did. He complied. And they had to arrest him. He was naked. it was nasty. But I'll say that for another segment. But anyway, with, with cops that I'm seeing nowadays, I mean, goodness gracious, somebody running away from you and you tase them in the back? I mean, what happened to you running the person down and using hand-to-hand, you know, restraint or combat? And in this situation... You know, use your hands, dude. They teach us how to do these tactics in the academy. Use your pressure points. If you are too afraid to go hands-on with somebody, you probably need to retire. You probably need to turn in the badge. Because, and I don't know what training Glendale has. And, and I believe that they have excellent training. I'm a default to excellent training because our SWAT team and Glendale SWAT team did a tactical um, event at a stadium together and they had really good tactics. They were real polished uh, SWAT team. But I don't know what they're teaching this guy. He resigned obviously, which I think was a was a appropriate thing to do. The question then comes up, what about his pension? If the if the department allows him to do something that's egregious and he retire I mean he resigns, he still have an ability to access his pension, work for another police agency, versus if they fired him and he will he would have a lot of complications surrounding that. Um do I think it rose to the occasion of firing this guy? Uh I don't know it would have to determine or depend on um, the things that he've done in the past. If this is a residual, this guy has been acting up for a long period of time, he got he has to go. There's no question about it. They need to fire this guy. He's he's ruining the reputation of the entire police department. But if this is a one off, there's le- there's a level of discipline and training that you can do that you won't, you know, destroy the man's livelihood. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad he resigned, man, because this is a black eye on law enforcement in America and we all know That there is an attack on police in America and not even by the public alone, not just by the public, but by police chiefs. And y'all know how I feel. I was on the Mac and Gato show a few times talking about Jerry Williams from the Phoenix Police Department. Whom I believe she should turn a badge in, if you ask me, I would love to have her come and explain to my audience why she make the decisions that she've made, why waste hundreds of thousands of dollars doing some research on why police um, use of force is increasing. I could have told her that it's, it it comes with the, with what the public is doing. It it doesn't necessarily mean that police are being more aggressive when people are pulling guns on police more. I mean, how's that the police, the police officers fault that people are going crazy in the city. And I think that, and I, and I said this before and I'm gonna say it again, the city council, And the structure of municipal police departments are the fall of law enforcement in America. And and this is why a police chief could come up through the ranks as a polished police officer and understand the job. Right. But when they get promoted all the way to the top, they lose all kind of authority. They lose all kinds of abilities to actually do their job. Not all, but some. And then they lead police down a slippery slope because it satisfies satisfies the public and satisfies the city council, which I think is, is absolutely asinine. When you, when you are a police chief, your obligation is for, to fulfill the necessity to protect your officers. At the moment in which you do not do that, you have failed. You have failed, and I have nothing else to say about that, You're listening to the Brandon Tatum Show on KTR. Y'all make sure y'all come back. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about the big, bad President Trump. (laughs) Y'all know I love Trump. We're going to talk about him after the break. Stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side. This is the Brandon Tatum Show. The Brandon Tatum Show on KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. If you're still listening, that means you really love me and I appreciate it. (laughs) So if you're listening and... And if you've liked what you heard so far. Obviously, we're going to talk about the president here in this last segment. But I want to remind you guys to follow me on social media. I didn't even say that. But follow me on The Officer Tatum is all my social media um, platforms. I do post videos on YouTube and post videos on The Officer Tatum Store.com. Um, we have merch there, too. So, But anyway, let's get into this. Donald J. Trump, right? This is the probably the most... I don't know, infamous and famous person at the same time in the United States of America and around the world. Mind you, uh, Donald Trump is pretty popular around the world. I almost would assume that people outside of the country, you know, not, you know, not including his supporters, but people outside of the country probably like him a little more than the people who dislike him in America for sure or who are American citizens here for sure. So let's let's talk about this for a minute. You know, I, I think that this is the pivotal point where people make decisions whether they like you or hate you. Is dependent on if you support the president or not. And I think uh, without um, fail or, or without any apologies, I voted for President Donald Trump. And I'm not ashamed to say I did. And now I almost feel like that supporting the president is kind of the new concept of coming out of the closet as a gay American. Like people are literally hiding this from family members. Because as soon as you say you voted for the president, oh, now they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to they don't want you coming over to family uh, events. Uh, You'll get ostracized on your job. I mean, you name it. That's almost the same concept. You know, people are, are are closeted supporters and they're just waiting strategically to announce that they actually support the president. And I'll say this. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at the look at votes. All you have to do is look at the fact that it was 62 million people that voted or over 62 million people that voted for president Trump. If you look at the media, it seems like everybody's against him. but 62 million people, that's a lot of people voting. And I don't think it feels that way when you walk around in the public sphere, but this is what I will say. Two things. Number one, people talk about the president and they say he's a racist and all this stuff. I think that's total BS. If the man was a racist, I would not vote for him. I would not support anything that he does. I wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even utter his name. But the man is not a racist. When people say that, it really diminishes the, the actual races who are out there. There's people out here who really hate me because of the color of my skin. They really hate me. They want to do harm to me. The president has invited me to the White House three times already. And I'm going for a fourth time in October. That doesn't seem very racist to me. The president has literally created an environment where the unemployment for African-Americans in this country and, and all other minorities at a historic low. It has never been this low in history. And in America, Americans in general of of all nationalities and backgrounds, however, they classify it. And at the end of the day, we're all Americans and we're all humans. You know, we are one human race. But the way they classify it. The rest of America is still decades low unemployment. I mean, look at the First Step Act. Some people, and I go and talk to people about this all the time. Mr. Racist President, the First Step Act. If you don't know about it, you might want to Google it at least. Might want to look it up. Maybe want to read. Um, it took me like f- three or four hours to read the entire um, document of the First Step Act. But literally changing legislation that will release people that have been bound to by policies, by people that I would argue could be classified as real racist. You know, I think when you go to a Ku Klux Klan member's funeral and you support him and say he was a mentor to you, that that to me sounds kind of racist. And that sounds like Hillary Clinton to me. But, hey, let's stick to Trump for now. So when you look at those components and you look at what he's done with the First Step Act, the Urban Revitalization Coalition, I've talked to people in the White House that are that are involved in that. They're literally revolutionizing minority communities all over the country. That 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 to me is not very racist. You know, back in the back in the day, they used to hang people from trees. That's racism. Back in the day, you couldn't drink out of the same water fountain. And for those of you who don't know, my girlfriend is white. Me and her couldn't even get married. Back in it, that's racism. We couldn't go to the same. You know, we couldn't eat at the same restaurants. Black folks had to sit in the back of a bus, pay the same fare, sit in the back. We went to the the black museum um, a a few weeks ago and you look at the history and you're like, this is real racism. Ladies and gentlemen, what the president is doing is just people just disagree with policies. They just disagree with how he's rolling it out. The president don't dislike um, Mexican people. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The president like many other Americans and like people on the other side, if you look at their rhetoric before, just don't like the way people are coming into our country illegally. We we accept over a million immigrants every year. Nobody has a problem with that. You know, some people probably do have a problem with immigration. They feel like the Americans deserve to have some of these opportunities. But that's not the argument that I'm making or the president is making. It's that we want people to come here the right way. We want people to feel safe when they come here. We want people to have opportunities when they get here. We want them to be able to have the, have access to America the way they should when they come here. Not be smuggled in by a coyote that will leave you in the desert if you can't keep up. That will probably do something nefarious to you sexually. That will that, that, probably you know, take you in, and, and force you into human or sex trafficking. We don't want that for people. And then when you get here, you got to fly under the radar, radar because you don't have a Social Security number. You can't work on a job, and people can take advantage of you. Immigration, you know, the immigration attorneys take advantage of some of these people, not all but some. We don't want that for you. We don't want you to have to trek hundreds of miles to come into America only to drown because the cartel pushes you. I mean, because the coyotes push you in the water so they can flee to safety. That has happened, ladies and gentlemen. We want you to have access to the American dream like everybody else. And that includes immigration reform. That includes building a wall to keep out people and drugs who shouldn't be here, who are going to cause harm to people in this country. That's simple and plain. And I I, I believe that when we talk about DACA, when we talk about things like that, President Trump has consistently attempted to work on the other side to get DACA recipients a path to citizenship. But because he want to do that and build a wall, people don't, you know, politically, people don't want to agree with him. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, I would encourage people, if you disagree with what I think about the president, if you disagree with me being a conservative, um, that you would at least listen. You know, eventually we're going to let you call in and I'll let the naysayers call in and, and we'll hear from them first. But at least listen and hear. And if you have a disagreement or something that I said that you disagree with, you don't like, if it's it's not factual, call me out for it. But other than that, it it is invaluable for you to hear another side, because if you stay one side of your whole life, you're not going to be very informed politically, and you may not make proper political decisions. How do I know? Because I used to be on the other side. I used to be voting Democrat, and and I believed that I was a Democrat. My parents were Democrats. And, and I'm not a big proponent on telling you how to vote because I, I really don't care. But you need to vote for what's best for you and your family and what you really, truly believe can really help this country. There's no reason for you to vote party line. There's no reason for you to vote because your mama said so. And I had to learn that I could say slightly the hard way, but I learned the lesson. I opened my eyes when President Barack Obama was the president, which I voted for him in second term. I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But when he started to the, the down police officers and talk crazy about them and literally put my life in danger on the job, I said, man, I got to look somewhere else. And I encourage every single person to do that. If you haven't learned nothing else, have an open mind. Take constructive criticism. And I want y'all to have a blessed day. Eventually, I'll do my little prayer at the end, but we're running out of time. But thank y'all for watching, man. Again, follow me on the social media. Make sure you come back next weekend on Saturday at 6 p.m. to hear the truth on The Brandon Tatum Show on KTAR. I love y'all. Have a good weekend.